Welcome to Cathedral Talk, a podcast about architecture and Minecraft, where we converse to save Notre Dame. Let me help you get back into the Minecraft headspace. Please. So you got a pickaxe <laughs> in your hand and you're going after some stone, but you don't have silk touch on your pickaxe. When you mine the stone, what block do you get? Cobblestone? No, Tom, this is for David. Oh, more interesting question. What if you don't have a pickaxe and you just punch stone? What do you get? You've got an ax in your hand. You go to ready your super breaker axe skill on MCMMO, but you're pointed directly at the log. When you right click, what happens on the tree? The whole tree disappears. No, you strip the log of its, oh, or you strip right. the tree of its bark. Damn it. That's right. All right. Well, I've already hit the record button at this point. I've been recording for some time. So if you want to like lead into this episode with me drilling David, then you ha- at least have my audio. That's a good. Yeah, I was like, I, I just began David's audio. So Zach can just talk for a little bit and then David will be like, what? You're admiring Tom's build from up high. And then you decide to go take a lap around the build with your elytra. You jump off and you realize you had neither have your elytra equipped or your feather falling boots equipped, but you jumped off the top of the towers. What happens to you? Splat? Yes, you die. Hilariously. That's a very tall build. It is a very tall build. I tried jumping off with um, both feather falling four and acrobatics at like, I don't know, a thousand. Yeah, I was just fully armored. It was like, I wonder if I could survive this. And the answer was no, no, I cannot. What's your ring made out of? Uh, Palladium. Palladium, nice. Charlotte is allergic to... Nickel. Nickel? And that in nickels in gold rings, I think. Yep, it's a nickel gold alloy typically. But silver, silver is a good hypoallergenic metal. For, there was a reason why we did palladium rather than silver. I no longer could tell you what that reason is. Because palladium is cool. They should add palladium and silver to Minecraft. And then they should give you the option to be allergic. <laughs> <laughs> You're mining some nickel and you take poison damage. <laughs> it's like, what? What happened? Oh, you're, you're allergic. Oh. <laughs> So it snowed um, really just a few days ago, and it was the first snow of the season. And of course, my initial reaction was, oh, great, snow day. And then I thought, oh, wait, there are no more snow days. In Lexington, Kentucky, there are. The uh, county superintendent, something like that, I probably have the title wrong, put out a letter uh, talking about the joys of snow days and how it's important to keep the that joy of childhood alive and and so in honor of that we are declaring today a snow day good on you kentucky wow good for them i heard new york city did exactly the opposite (laughs) i heard the mayor there was like there are no more snow days it's a thing of the past get used to it kids did it snow in zach's neck of the woods yeah i mean in my head i was like the first snow of the season for you yeah i was gonna say tom was being very his home specific Exactly. Did that help you build a snow fort? Yeah. So um, as a kid, rather than sort of build walls, I would really just sort of let all the shoveled snow that was built into a pile just sort of build up naturally through the work of keeping the drive clear. And then I would dig tunnels through it, almost like an anthill. So I guess I had really more snow anthills than snow forts when I was growing up. So you didn't have like crenellations or like battlements? I Well, so I definitely always would like go outside during a big snow with the best of intentions of being like, this is going to be the best snow fort of all time, you know. And then slowly an hour passes and every time you're like, oh, it's pretty cold out and it's kind of wet. And I I have to say that I I was put to shame by some of the neighborhood kids growing up because there was definitely a couple snow forts in town that were just huge, impressive structures that I know had some legendary snowball fights in our our hometown. See, I would have pegged you for like getting those little squirt bottles of like food coloring and then like compressing the snow down to make like sheets of ice and then you'd make like uh, stained glass 
panes for your your snow fort. It's not just that he likes cathedrals and such. He also likes things done the traditional way. And what you're describing is very antithetical to the Calvin and Hobbes snow fort, which is the model that we all are basing it off of. If there were a world record of snow forts, it would definitely be Calvin and Hobbes. But I actually looked this up not long ago, and the actual world record for the largest snow fort in the world apparently goes to a place in Finland called Kemi, K-E-M-I. Uh, they call it the Snow Castle of Kemi, and apparently they it's like a tourist attraction that they rebuild it every year. Huh. Um, that's what's but it's yeah, um, it's and I I mean just Google it and you'll find some pretty impressive pictures of a legit snow fort. And uh, you can go inside and they have like like a dining area with, I think, like ice plates and forks and things. And it's just kind of absurd at this point. <laughs> well, not to be outdone by Finland, Colorado has uh, special tourist attractions for their ice castles in Dillon. Plugging Colorado tourism. If you're ever in Colorado in the winter, go to Dillon and go go view the ice castles. They're very pretty. These are cool. I will say they seem to be going for a slightly more natural cave look. Yes. Whereas Kemi is going for more European castle look. Well, the, they are European, so you can't really blame them for that. And Colorado's are... Enjoy the natural beauty and splendor of our state. Did somebody build a scale model of the flat irons out of snow? Father Winter did. On top of the flat irons. <laughs> <laughs> it's one-to-one scale. It's very beautiful. It's just a little, it's hollow in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Like every single mountain in Colorado is like NORAD. It's just like a secret military base in every single mountain. They're all hollow. There's really two different types of snow forts that I I remember building growing up. A big trick was to definitely like use the features of the yard to your advantage. So there was like one panel of a fence that separated our neighbors and us. I don't know why. It wasn't a full fence. Yeah, it was just kind of a fence out of nowhere. It was just one fence. I think at some point there were bushes on one side. It was almost like artistic. It's like (laughs) one, two posts and one bar in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Was it white picket? Because I had a neighbor that I'm pretty sure was, had just one like meter long white picket fence. And it was there as like an artistic installation because they needed like the white picket fence in their their plot of land but they didn't actually want to fence off their plot this this feels like liberal arts majors living in massachusetts uh uh compared (laughs) to rural upstate new yorkers who just had random fences fences make good neighbors (laughs) i okay side story there real quickly when i bought the house i'm living in currently i was really interested in the fact how my house has a fence and the fence is like totally twice as tall on one side with one set of neighbors than it is with the neighbors on the other side. And slowly over the course of like a couple months, I came to realize that one side of the neighbors were a lot more friendly than the other side. And I was like, hmm, this fence makes a lot more sense now. Your fences also have fences. You have a triple decker fence. No, no, that makes perfect sense. That's out of just the universal law of laziness because you, in order to actually build one fence... Three fences is lazy. And, no, it really is lazy because in order to build fences that are at exactly the boundary between property, you have to have both neighbors agree on building that fence. Whereas you don't need to have any consensus if you just build the fence on your side. So what's happened over the years is that neighbors on one side will build a fence, neighbors on the other side will build a fence... And then they'll just get layers of fences stacking side by side. That explains two. That doesn't explain three. Okay. I can't really explain the third one. <laughs> I think it's just an old decrepit fence that somehow was in the middle that, you know what probably happened? Maybe way back 200 years ago. Okay. I guess my house. Was that built. fence is not too. I guess years my ago. house was built in the 1940s, but maybe, <laughs> maybe 60, 70 years ago, somehow the neighbors did agree to build a fence, but then you also have to get them to agree to tear it down And, you know, maybe they couldn't get them to agree to tear it down. So then they just built new fences surrounding the old fence. You could just do what my parents did and build on your neighbor's property. Should you be publicly coming out about this? (laughs) The the neighbors uh, realized this. And the thing that was built, which was a gazebo, was generously donated by my parents and then moved on to the neighbor's property. So they got a free gazebo out of the mistake. Hey, gazebos are great. 
So Supersheds.com, the premier expert of sheds, uh, has a, a page that is, what is the difference between gazebos and pergolas? I never even heard the word pergola, I don't think. I have. Never, heard, never of pergola. heard of pergola? I don't think so. What's How do you spell it? P-E-R-G-O-L-A-S. It's like Legolas, only absolutely not. <laughs> okay, I, I recognize the structure, but I, I didn't know this was what it was called. I've definitely heard of pergola. I think the only thing I can tell you is that I associate a little bit more with weddings. That's about it. Oh, I see why you'd say that. I have to, having not thought about this at all until this moment, if I was to have one in my house, I think I would go pergola. Gazebo is a little too constrained. Well, what is what is the difference? What are the main differences between gazebos and pergolas? In, in my head, it's that a gazebo has like on entrance. And also it looks like pergolas don't have to be, but I don't know, they're not always attached. They look like they can kind of just be like house extensions a little bit more. I mean, I could just Google it, but I'm having more fun guessing. Are they octagonal? Uh, so you two, I think I'm going to award points to the both of you because uh, gazebos are freestanding while pergolas can connect or stand on their own. So David, ding, ding, ding. You got a point there. And then Tom, gazebos are round while pergolas are square. You mean you mean round as in like a regular polygon? Round as in no corners. You're not gonna spend the time making a barrel structure when you could more easily approximate it with something that is uh, that's where the poly and the polygons got way more poly in it. Right, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we talk about Archimedes' method for uh, approximating pi with good old regular polygons in AP calculus all the time. So yeah, in conclusion, fences are good starting points for snow forts. That's what this conversation was about. Also, you were mentioning something that I was wondering if you could expand on. You were talking about integrating your snow fort into the layout of the lawn. When you build something, do you integrate more using the existing geology? Or do you uh, just say, all right, the snow's got me a flat surface. I'm going to build something on top of a flat surface. And to heck with uh, the underlying slope of the, the lawn or the gradient. The town that we grew up in was very much in a valley. Living where we are now, there are tons of little hills all over the place, and it makes biking really annoying. Um, whereas where we grew up, the the surrounding area is far hillier, but the town itself was very flat. Uh, tiny little town, but very flat. When you were doing a Minecraft build, do you build into the terrain that's there, or do you flatten in order to build your structure. It did seem like you were trying to lead me into a Minecraft question there, and I wasn't quite sure how you're getting there. Now I get it. Um, I actually tend to be someone who does build into the terrain. Unless you're doing something rather grand, it is, I don't tend to like how unnatural the leveling out tends to be. I tend to like building houses into mountains, uh, I'll build underwater things underground. Uh, I'll build a lighthouse on a hill that already exists. I don't, I don't tend to like doing new leveling out. Have you done any chasm building? No, I haven't done any chasm building. I would say that building right into a cliffside is something that I want to actually do a lot more of. It's something that I tend to not have much experience with because I'm always building replicas of, you know, real world monuments. And most of those just tend to be, you know, on flat terrain. So I just need flat terrain to build whatever big replica project I'm going for. But I do have this great desire to build like, you know, a castle on the side of a mountain for especially for the new Caves and Cliffs update for Minecraft. Yeah, tell me a, a little bit of what's coming with that update. I haven't, I've seen the headline, but haven't read any of the details. Uh, so I, I mean, I'm not going to be like one of those YouTube experts that just goes through all the bullet points that's in there. Uh, this is definitely not the place if you want to get all the details, people. But just kind of going off the top of the head, some of the things that stick out at me. The main new building block appears to be copper. And um, the most interesting thing about copper is that it weathers. So that if you build like a statue or a roof or something. If you let lots of time pass, you will see it slowly age and weather from its, you know, pristine kind of penny color to a kind of corroded green. I think that's pretty cool, actually. Um, I'd like to see more of that in the game. I wholeheartedly approve of that concept. I'm curious about time scale of that, though. I'm curious how the designers choose to come up with what is the appropriate amount of time for that to take if it's if it's probability based 
will you have two blocks next to each other? One corrodes, one doesn't. Once they've all corroded, is the expectation that you're going to go back and start all over again? Like that adds a lot of interesting questions. Yeah, I don't have the answer, but I would definitely hope that they would err on the side of a very long time as opposed to like, oh, it just takes, you know, like 10 nights, days and nights, you know, Um, because, you know, we're talking about servers that people will just be playing for hours and hours and it'll probably just run when nobody's logged in anyway. So I would like to see it be like, it'll weather over like, you know, 200 days of, you know, play that way. Like when you see a structure that has legit changed, you can be like, that thing's been there a while. It has actually weathered. I think you're probably right. That seems, sounds better. Yeah. What else are we getting in that patch, Zach? Do you remember? Uh, we're getting amethysts. We're getting uh, new expansive underground caves. We're getting uh, spy glasses. We're getting lightning rods. Oh, that's mm. huge. That's huge. And for the redstone community out there, we're also getting um, shulk, shulk sensors, which are sound-based redstone emitters. So basically a way to avoid having to wire things. You can have like laser signals basically going back and forth. I mean, the physicist in me wants to take umbrage on your use of laser to describe sounds. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I, I was just trying to emphasize a concept. Not, I mean, a... a Never mind. You, you <laughs> I guess you could use like phonons and have like a, a coherent phonon beam that goes through a surface. I don't, I don't know if that works. I wouldn't put it past it's, Star Trek to have some phonon beams. That sounds pretty great. It does sound pretty great. Probably not through space though. <laughs> uh, what I think what you're looking for is wireless signals. Right. Uh, yeah, you can have wireless signals travel. Well, I, the feature that I'm in particular looking forward to, I think, are the lightning rods because I have definitely lost a couple mega structures to uh, fire from burning down from a lightning strike. And um, yeah, those lightning rods sound like a godsend. Uh, I built a tavern in our town and I sort of was having one character logged in all day long back in the summer just to sort of let the automated farms sort of slowly do their work. And then um, I logged in one day and this entire huge tavern I had built just completely burned down. And I know I'm going to get some flack for this, but I'm I'm not playing Minecraft to be like a true survivalist. Like I'm going to play this like the right way. Like I just asked the server admin, can we just roll this server back a day? Because I, I'm not willing to uh, just rebuild all that thing that I just did there. And it's a small server we're on. Nobody else had been on anyway. So I said, yeah, let's just roll it back. But that won't be a problem anymore. So I can continue to leave people logged in once we get lightning rods. Do the lightning rods channel the lightning or are they simply just do they just negate the lightning? That's a good question. They negate the lightning in the capacity that any lightning that hits the lightning rod isn't going to set fire to the brick underneath it. However, there's this really cool automated charged creeper farm uh, that's in design for the next update because the lightning that hits the lightning rod still exists and still hits that block. And so if a creeper is on top of the lightning rod, it will charge the creepers. I think the last 30 seconds of that conversation is going to be like a foreign language to the non-Minecrafters that were listening to this podcast. Way, way more than just 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I was I, I, earlier, I was like, we're going to talk about lexicon. So like, what's the difference between a pergola and a gazebo? And I was like, this is a perfect opportunity for Tom <laughs> to be like, well, what's the difference between a cathedral and a chapel? So now that that inorganic transition is being made, uh, cue the act break music. Yeah. I think we just recorded the new act break music right there. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, I don't think I could live with myself. <laughs> I, I'm... I just don't think I could do it. All right. Well, then be sure I'm never editing this. The listeners uh, will know what decision I made just now. I think an interesting question, <laughs> since this is a podcast about cathedrals, <laughs> is we have different terminology of the various, let's be frank, uh, Christian edifices. Hashtag not a Christian podcast. And in particular, of course, People are very familiar, I think, with the word church. 
But then we've got these other words for structures that are a little bit more nebulous. We have chapels, and then we have basilicas, and then we have cathedrals, of course. Do you know what the difference is? I do not. Do you want me to guess? Because you guys guessed for my question. I would appreciate a guess. I think the difference between a church and a cathedral has to do with the difference between the size allocated for the choir and the rest of the participants. Okay, so you think that it's based primarily on the architectural features of the structure and the space that it provides. I mean, in my heart of hearts, like uh, I think a church is a purely religious thing that has absolutely nothing to do with the architecture. So your living room could be a church. You don't even need to have a place with walls in order to be a church. It's a space designated solely by the function that it's serving and not by the architecture. Well, if you were to use set theory and sort of describe the relationship between these different words with a Venn diagram, would you say that cathedrals are crossing over with churches? Or would you say a cathedral is separate from a church? Or would you say that a cathedral is a subset? What do you think? Yeah, I think you can have cathedrals that are non-religious. So going back to my um, ice sculptures, you can have ice cathedrals, and then you can have cathedrals that are also churches, and then you can have churches that are not cathedrals. So there's overlap. My answer is different, but I do like your answer. So I will just, before I get into my answer, I will say, I like that answer. Props. My memory and understanding of cathedrals that it is a very, uh, very specifically religious term that means something um, under the designation of a church. I guess you could describe like an ice cathedral as a cathedral, but that feels more like a liberal acquisition of the word. There you go. Yeah, yeah that, that was well put. I, I'm really quite proud of that. I don't know where that came from. So Wikipedia has completely blasted what my definition of cathedral was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> meaning, meaning you tried to edit the Wikipedia page with your definition and someone immediately changed it back? Yeah, except for editing is just Google searching. And instead of changing it back, uh, just leaving it because I never changed it. But other than that, yes, you're absolutely right. See, mom, Wikipedia is reliable. I think, Zach, that your your perception that cathedrals are most often associated with a big honking church is a pretty common one. I think probably if you were to ask most people, on the street, how would you define what a cathedral is? People would say it's just like a really big church, right? It's a little bit more complicated than that. And I think maybe just I would mention the Venn diagram earlier. I, I will, again, talking, we mentioned briefly, maybe there's a more modern liberal take on what the word cathedral can be, especially in perhaps a non-religious connotation. But if we're going to stick to history and if we're going to stick to really the origins of the words and how they are used officially, by society. Cathedrals are entirely a subset of church. The term a cathedral church is actually a term. Like that's not just a church, that's a cathedral church. Uh, most people don't say cathedral church, most people just say cathedral because, you know, fewer syllables and plus cathedral is a really awesome word. But it's, it's almost an adjective, really. A cathedral is almost an adjective. So you can imagine in your Venn diagram that the bubble for cathedral is entirely contained inside the bubble for church. I mean, Wikipedia 100% agrees with you. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm so pleased that you are referencing Wikipedia because that, I think, just reaffirms everything that I've said in past episodes. Fine. Also, what you say is completely in congruence with Merriam-Webster, dictionary.com, and thefreedictionary.com. Thefreedictionary.com. I don't know that one. <laughs> Wait, I never remember. Does incongruous mean in agreement or disagreement? Uh, incongruous would be uh, in disagreement, but incongruous, incongruity. I was using two <laughs> separate words. I wasn't using in as a prefix. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> this is the this is a difficult part of doing natural language processing for AI because AI can't tell the difference between the two. So are you wait, are you claiming that Miriam Webster you're a robot. You're a robot. David's a robot. Let me give you a few more descriptors of the relationships between churches, cathedrals and basilicas because actually that's another word that commonly gets mixed around with the others. Is basilica a subset of cathedral? So, we're going to get to that. So, let me I'm going to give you three descriptors to sort of set this off. You already know the first. I said that all cathedrals are also churches. So, in other words, cathedrals are a subset of church. Second bullet I'm going to tell you is that 
most basilicas are also churches, but not all. So I think in some ways what Zach was saying earlier, his sort of original interpretation of what the word cathedral was, is actually a little bit more close to the word basilica. Mm, yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. And then the third descriptor, which I'll give here, is that cathedrals and basilicas are most often distinct from each other, but there are some examples where a building is both. So there are some buildings that are both a basilica and a cathedral. So my, fir my first question here is, what is a basilica that is not a church? Okay, we're going to get to that. We have a history lesson. This is, this is the best part. So now we've lost all the Minecraft audience. <laughs> I think it's it's important to remember in history, you know, a good almost 2000 years ago, that Christianity in its infancy was a very private, hidden religion, right? It was not at all authorized by the Roman government. Christians were persecuted, and it took a couple hundred years for Christianity to spread enough that it was adopted by enough people that the government just couldn't shove it under the rug anymore. And eventually Constantine decriminalized Christianity and I think it was like the year 313. And then eventually it became the official state religion. In that transition, people had to start building churches because people were like, oh, we've been practicing our religion for a couple hundred years, but we have no idea what our own religious building is supposed to look like. So they kind of went back to what they already knew. The ancient Romans had been the master builders of hundreds of years of great monuments and edifices. And what the new Christian religion really looked to was basilicas of the Roman Empire. Basilica was a secular term from the ancient Romans. It was basically a public building. Hmm. And it was really just a big, long hall with a colonnade, columns on both sides of the hall, within usually two aisles, smaller, flanking the sides of the main hall. And then there'd usually be like a semicircular apse at the end where the, the heads of state and, you know, the important stuff would be located. So that's like the market that so it was like the marketplace. I, 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 don't, I don't think it was necessarily a marketplace. I'm, I'm thinking more like in terms of like magistrates, law, um, affairs from the upper class, the aristocracy, the patricians. Gotcha. I'm, I'm getting it now. I'm looking at a picture. Yeah. But that model of sort of this rectangular building with a big hall going down the middle and then some aisles on the sides People said, you know, that's a pretty, an adaptable building that'll work well for churches. So Christianity really adopted secular basilicas from the Roman Empire and converted that concept into this is what a church looks like. And so the first churches really were kind of based on the basilica model. And so that word basilica did get dragged along and eventually it no longer became a secular word. It eventually became a word associated with some churches. But as the Roman Catholic Church became more established and, you know, precedents were put in place with all of its history, Basilica started to have a more honorary title. Like, not all churches were going to be called Basilica any longer. We're only going to give the word Basilica to really important churches. To this day, there are a, almost, not quite, but almost 2,000 basilicas hmm. across the globe under the Roman Catholic Church. There's actually two classes of basilica. There are major basilicas and there are minor basilicas. There are only four major basilicas in the entire world, and they are all in the city of Rome. Yeah. And then the minor basilicas, it's really, it's a catch-all term that Roman Catholicism uses for... That's an impressive church. Let's give it the name Basilica. Is it a term? Is the term Basilica something that has only lasted through the Roman Catholic Church? Because cathedral has crossed into Episcopalian Anglican, but are there Episcopalian basilicas? Um, I think, as far as I can tell, Basilica is pretty much now exclusively a Roman Catholic word. Whereas cathedral, yeah, it has definitely crossed into Anglicanism, Episcopalianism. Uh, Eastern Orthodox. I think even some Lutheran churches have cathedrals as well. Hmm. And we'll get to, again, what the definition of a cathedral is in just a moment. But again, this idea of a basilica, it's really this very honorary title. It's this title honoring this prestigious church for either history or for deeds or just for architectural beauty. Interestingly enough, I mentioned that there are only four major basilicas and they're all in Rome. 
One of them you probably have heard of before, St. Peter's Basilica. That is in Vatican City, right? And it's that colossal domed church right in the center of Vatican City where you always see the Pope. Interestingly enough, that is not the highest basilica in all of Roman Catholicism. To find highest, are you referring to most important or tallest? As No, I actually, good question. I am not talking about architecture. In the hierarchy of Roman Catholicism, St. Peter's Basilica is not the supreme authority church over all other churches. The reason for that is because the Pope has another title. Bishop of Rome. Exactly. The Pope has to be, by definition, the Bishop of Rome. Because Vatican City is not, by that definition, technically in Rome. It is surrounded by Rome. It is not in Rome. Exactly. And so this is where we get into what a cathedral actually is. A cathedral is the church of a bishop. Cathedrals would have a throne called a cathedra, and then that throne would be the throne of the bishop. And then just having that seat, that physical seat, would literally make that church the cathedral. So cathedrals really have a very formal definition, whereas basilica is a lot more like, it's sort of just an honorary title. That, I mean, it's official, but the qualities that must be possessed to be a basilica are a lot more loose. But here's where the interesting overlap comes in. I was mentioning that St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City is not the supreme church in all of Roman Catholicism. The supreme church is the arch basilica of St. John Lateran. And it is definitely, I don't think, a church that people are as familiar with as St. Peter's. Uh, it's not, I mean, it's a very beautiful church. Uh, it has a beautiful facade, but it's certainly nowhere near as memorable as like St. Peter's Square with the giant St. Peter's Basilica, which is many times larger. But technically, the Archbasilica of St. John Lateran, and again, it's got a special title, Archbasilica, is also a cathedral because it is the Bishop of Rome's cathedral. The Pope, by definition, has to be the Bishop of Rome. So therefore, that is the supreme church of all of Roman Catholicism. Whereas St. Peter's Basilica is not a cathedral because it doesn't have the seat of a bishop? The cathedra. Exactly. St. Peter's Basilica doesn't have a cathedra because the Pope's throne is in St. John Lateran, which is in the proper city of Rome. So weirdly enough, we have this weird circular logic where St. Peter's Basilica in its own independent city-state is actually subservient to this physical church that's actually in Rome proper, which is just so bizarre. You kind of go into these weird circles. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> I'm refraining from saying any blasphemous things. What? No, this is, this is, there's nothing blasphemous <laughs> here. We're understanding hierarchy. I was looking through Wikipedia because they are the supreme source on most of the things we talk about on this podcast. They are actually the basilica above the arch basilica. It's the basilica of Wikipedia. That's true. It says so on Wikipedia, so it has to be true. It's true. It's true. Funnily enough, I actually looked up a list of all the basilicas in Roman Catholicism. But according to the definition, it said that Notre Dame in Paris, by Catholicism, has technically been authorized as the Cathedral Basilica of Our Lady of Paris. So technically, Notre Dame, in their eyes, is both a cathedral and a basilica. But I think a lot of people would probably disagree with the terminology there because nobody is going to call Notre Dame a basilica. It is so universally regarded as a cathedral. I mean, I think Notre Dame is arguably the most famous cathedral on earth. And so nobody calls it a basilica. But this is also where we get into the, the interesting issues of how most famous churches in the world really have more than one name. And that usually the official name is something you have never heard of. In Washington, our local cathedral, the Washington National Cathedral for the Episcopal Church, technically its full name is the Cathedral of St. Peter and St. Paul. But again, that's the Washington National Cathedral. Nobody calls it that. Everybody calls it the Washington National Cathedral. If a bishop just wants to change where their seat is, uh, either from a personal desire or because the Pope says, all right, I'm going to move you to this other building, does that building then, that new building become a cathedral and the old building lose its cathedral status? Like if I have a dead mall nearby and they're looking to rent out some space, 
And they're like, oh, this land is cheap. We're going to buy it because it's cheaper than where our our seat was. And so we're going to have the greater superior cathedral that used to be a target. That's totally how that process always works. People <laughs> say, oh, that's cheaper. Let's just sell the old cathedral and buy this strip mall. Strip mall. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the cathedral technically could move. If the seat moves, then it would be something else. I've just never heard of that ever happening. I can't imagine it's common. The only examples I can think of are long ago in the Middle Ages when a city-state would want to rebuild its cathedral because it's too small, so they might knock down their old Romanesque cathedral to build a much bigger Gothic one in its place. Somewhere in there, they'd have to deconsecrate the old one and consecrate the new one. I'm just not entirely sure how the overlap there works. So in, in the House of Representatives, when you do a census, you have the, a set number of seats that are available to you. And seats can transition from state to state based off the rebalancing of it. You don't create more seats and you don't get rid of seats. You just change who owns that seats. Is there a set number of bishops in Roman Catholicism? So here, here's where my knowledge of Catholicism in particular starts to go out the window because my interest has always been in the architecture in particular. I am not Catholic myself. So I, I will not be able to answer your question nearly as well as many other people. I think it's not going to be a matter of there are, let's say, 888 bishops in the world and it must always remain the same. I think that is more likely to be how the House of Representatives was before that law was passed that established a set number that it always holds, which has only been around for about 100 years. Before, it was based on population. And I think that's how bishops in the Catholic Church and probably the Episcopal Church work today. Whereas if there are enough members of the church in a given area that it is time to carve out a new bishop dumb not not the right word <laughs> it's it's called a diocese by the way I, I was wondering if i wasn't sure if a diocese was the same thing as bishop dumb i believe the diocese is the zone okay. that the bishop presides over that's what i was wondering so I, I think you would create a new diocese if there was enough catholic population episcopal population to to warrant it what i'm curious about is is the opposite true do they take away bishop mm. if uh if an area loses its population um yeah after a certain point i had the same question you shouldn't invite a cardinal on to answer these questions. <laughs> yeah. It does look like, according to some initial searching, that the number of bishops does increase, but again, I think conservatively. And the number of cardinals also increases, but again, very conservatively. It says here that the number of cardinals has been increased, I think, by Pope Francis recently, particularly for some countries that had never had the representation that they deserved. So... Um, it does sound like they do try to balance those things out. Do Cardinals have specific seats? I know they have a baseball team. <laughs> Our dad supports them. <laughs> now we've lost their entire audience. We've kept the St. Louis Catholics. Exactly. Who play Minecraft. It's a very niche market. I am slowly uh, developing Notre Dame uh, in Minecraft. Well, really, I should say I'm still landscaping. I have been slowly digging away layer by layer. And I was pretty busy with other stuff this week, so I haven't made much progress yet. For the record, people, this is going to be a long project, this two-to-one scale Notre Dame in Minecraft. Uh, and that's the whole point, right? Uh, to keep this podcast going, to keep the awareness going. I thought it was because COVID's going to be with us for a while and you needed entertainment. Well, I thought so anyway, although all this vaccine news has me thinking, hmm, maybe I'm going to have to rethink how I balance my editing schedule. Since the first thing I'm going to really have to do to begin construction is to lay out the floor plan, uh, I thought we could spend just a short activity today going over the lexicon for Gothic architecture in terms of the horizontal floor plan. So I have provided David and Zach with a brief copy of the floor plan of Notre Dame. And so there are 11 different zones on this floor plan that I've sort of highlighted with different colors. And then we've got 11 different vocab turns over here. And I'm just curious how many of these David and Zach can match up with the figure. So we should start by building on previous knowledge and ask Zach if he wants to start at the west end or the east end and then make sure he knows which is which. Uh, I'm going to start on the east end because the asp is the, or the, 
I think it's the ASP. That's the only the, one that I'm, the I'm pretty certain. The apps? The apps, yeah. It's not a, an Egyptian snake. Now you've introduced doubt into my head. <laughs> <laughs> what, what am I going to do? Uh, I'm going to put it... Uh, you can't move these things. You can't? Uh, can I? You should. You should be able to. I can move Click them. them. All right. I'm yeah. going to move it. So, I, hey, hey, don't move it back. Sorry, sorry. You drag it. Sorry. So I think we should probably also quickly remind people what does just the basic shape of the floor plan of a cathedral look like? And like Notre Dame and many of its contemporaries, they all form the shape of a cruciform. They all look like a Christian cross. The cross faces east to west and that the top of the cross faces east and the bottom of the cross faces west. And in particular, the west end is sort of where you enter and then it's sort of like you're climbing the cross as you go to the east end where the high altar and so forth is. The chapel itself, I think, would be the little purple area that's at the very top of the cross at the east end. Um, and that's where the altar is going to be. Now, the outer circles are a bit less obvious. This is so great. I'm, I'm loving this. I mean, some of these are Pokemon names, like <laughs> Narthex. Narthex is definitely a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> I choose you, Narthex. And I, I drive a Chevet Spark. Well, let's see. Other ones that I'm pretty sure I'm right. The choir's got to be the yellow area right in front of the chapel. Why aren't you moving? Does it? Uh, I thought the choir was behind. I would have guessed the choir would be the, the light blue. Uh, choir is definitely a horizontal area because you have people who are sitting on either side as you walk through. The crossing might... Yeah, it's red. Uh, it's got to be the red. Well, there's two red and it could be either <laughs> in my head. The middle, the orange. I think it must be that one, yeah. Great. Uh, the center part okay. of the cross where the horizontal and vertical parts of the cross meet. I've literally never heard of a Chevette before. I don't know what that is. It's a style of car. Remember, it's a French word. How do you think the French pronounce it? Chevet. Definitely Chevette. Chevet. Definitely Chevette. <laughs> I got a Chevet Spark EV. I'm going to keep on making this joke over and over until someone acknowledges that I'm making this Chevrolet joke. Do you have a Chevrolet, Zach? I have a Chevrolet. Are you proud of your Chevrolet? No. What? That's unfortunate. You should have brand loyalty. Yeah. What's wrong with you? I was going to say what's wrong with it, not what's wrong with you. <laughs> I'm going to turn this podcast right around. <laughs> In your Chevrolet. In my Chevet. I don't know what Chevet means. So again, maybe just as a quick pausing point, because we have some confusion in the words that we're using between horizontal and vertical. When David's talking about vertical, he's talking about north and south. In other words, the two arms of the Christian cruciform. I suppose that's clear. Yeah. North is always up. I think the ambulatory is actually over on the east end. I think it's one of the things you walk around. Yeah. And I think the I think the orange is the bay, the side off of the aisle. So the aisle would, would be the light blue where you walk down the cross. And then from there you reach the crossing and then you reach the choir and then you reach the chapel. And so on the other side of the aisle, I think, is the bay. I'm going to say nave is light blue. Nave is a word I should know and won't and don't. I think the narthex is, is the entrance point, actually. I think that's the dark red at the west end. The nave is a uh, dishonest or unscrupulous man. That's right. And because we have a random brown box that I don't understand why it gets its own name, there's where our Chevrolet is going. Okay, well, you know, that was a good effort, gentlemen. Ooh, that was that didn't sound good. You did okay. Did we get one right? You got more than one right, actually. In fact, you got a few more right than I anticipated in some regards, although there was a couple words I thought they're definitely going to get this, and then you totally didn't. So it's just so interesting how it works out like that. I count, I see one, two, three. So is the red part the narthex? The dark red is the narthex. That is correct. Bam. So you get one point for that. That's where Snorlax hangs out. The narthex quite often refers to the entrance. Sometimes it's even sectioned off with like doors before you enter the main chamber of the giant cathedral. In Notre Dame's case, it's not. You were right about the crossing. Uh, clearly, that makes sense because the crossing is the center of the whole cathedral. The center of the cross. It's where the north and the south vessels cross the central main vessel, making the shape of the cruciform. So it's right in the center. Usually they have a big central square right there for these cathedrals. 
And then you were right about choir, too. The choir is that upper part of the cruciform that sort of leads towards the back of the cathedral towards the east. And that is quite where you would expect the choir, as well as much of the clergy, do gather and lead the service. And it's usually isolated from the public. And then there's one last word you did get correct, transept. The transept is the vessel that bisects the main... Um, so I'm ha so the reason I'm having trouble is because I'm trying to avoid using the words to describe the other pieces before I just give them away. So it would probably be best if I just use a few words specifically right now. The word that I thought you were going to get and that I'm surprised you had trouble with was nave. The nave is the main chamber where most people sit. Yeah. It's by far the biggest rectangle there. And it's just what you enter once you pass through the narthex. Disappointed by that. I should have known that one. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in you too. I know. The pews are all there. And usually quite often when somebody says, what level of the cathedral are you on right now? They'll say, oh, I'm on the nave. Because usually the nave is like the principal word that sort of describes this whole zone. But in particular, it's referring to that zone where the public watches and participates in the service. Wait, we got chapel wrong? Chapel is definitely incorrect. Sorry. Do you want to know what it is? Yes. Okay. Well, I should say I was a little bit misleading in that I really should have put on that vocab space there, chapels, as opposed to chapel, because the point is that Notre Dame has many, many chapels. In fact, all the sections across the edges, all the different little vaulted sections all the way around uh, okay. from top to bottom... Those are all chapels. Yeah, okay, okay. I was thinking that you were using the word for altar, essentially. Nah, yeah, so it's a little different here. In particular, I happen to highlight these semicircular chapels towards the east end. Those are the chapels that I'm talking about. The reason I decided to highlight those is because this is, while this is Notre Dame, Notre Dame is, you know, one of the larger cathedrals. And Notre Dame has a ton of chapels, like I said. Not all cathedrals have as many chapels as Notre Dame. Usually the most common place you'll find chapels will be at the east end on sort of that semicircular part. So I tried to highlight the zone that you're most likely on any cathedral to find chapels. So what is the purple on here then? The purple part is the apse. And the apse is a semicircle that just sort of is directly off of the choir. It's usually where some of the most intricate stained glass is. Uh, it's really the stained glass that you see when you first enter the nave and you look all the way down the long nave towards the very east end. And you usually see that sort of semicircle with that stained glass uh, sort of radiating out all the way down at the other end. And then the next sort of semicircle that surrounds the apse, that's the ambulatory. I almost want to give you credit for what you put for ambulatory because you, what you put for ambulatory are actually the chapels. And that's a little bit confusing because, again, Notre Dame has actually so many double aisles that it's kind of hard just to look at the floor plan and to know whether you're looking at an aisle or whether you're looking at a chapel or something else. And so the ambulatory is that circular walkway that surrounds the apse on the east end. In your two-to-one build, I hope that you mark out the floor plan with colored concrete that match your color coding in this diagram so that when I go into it, I'll at least know where I am. Exactly. Flip a switch and suddenly all these colored floor plates would just pop up all over the place to give you a map. Do it. That would probably cause an Im immense amount of server lag, however. Worth it. Worth it. Totally worth it. So what's the green section that surrounds everything on the east end? Okay, so this is actually a word that I didn't know until recently. And I think it's French in particular because it's very common in French cathedrals and not nearly as common in like English cathedrals because English cathedrals tend to be a lot more rectangular without all those semicircles. Uh, they tend to be very just kind of cut off at the end. Whereas the French are very graceful and elegant and they like to have, you know, all these circles that sort of bind the whole thing together. That's the chevet. The chevet is just the conglomerate of the apse in the very center of the semicircle, surrounded by the ambulatory, and then all the radiating chapels leading off from the ambulatory in all the different directions. That whole sort of semicircular zone, that's called the chevet. It's not a very common word. But it's so prominent on French cathedrals, and that's what we're really focusing on for a while here that it seemed worth bringing up. 
It's interesting to know that that whole section of the cathedral um, from end to end fits one Chevrolet. I would have expected it to be bigger. This is not yet sponsored by Chevy. Not yet. So I think the only word that we haven't yet covered, I think, is bay. Did we do everything else? Is aisle what we put as bay? Oh, sorry. Uh, aisle is the orange zone. Yeah. So the aisles are just what flank the nave. And again, even though I highlighted that particular zone, that's not the only aisle. I just had to pick one zone to focus on. There's a parallel There's a parallel mirrored aisle on the other side of the nave. And so then the bay is each of the... Th- of the sections between the pillars. Yes. Only in the nave? Uh, No, really. Bays are very architectural term. Most of these terms are really more about the layout of, I guess, almost the hierarchy of the congregation of where people go. But for the word bay, it's a very architectural word that's referring to the single unit of vaulting. A Gothic vault is these sort of crisscrossing Gothic arches, these sort of pointed arches. They crisscross between the different column piers. And then that section of stoned vaulting, you kind of replicate over and over again as you go from one set of columns to the next. And so each of those are just called bays. Thank you for joining us on this tour of a cathedral in what is obviously, as always, a very visual medium, the podcast. So from here on, when I start to say things like, well, I was really trying to work out the Chevet today, you're totally going to know what I was talking about, right? Yes. Excellent. Cars. Cars. That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. If you would like to support our efforts here at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Notre Dame, please use the direct link on our website to donate to friendsofnotredamedeparis.org. Friends of Notre Dame is a non-profit organization that is leading the international fundraising efforts to rebuild and restore Notre Dame Cathedral. By donating to them through the link at cathedraltalk.fm, we'll know that our podcast is reaching new patrons. As our own Minecraft project progresses, we'll be sure to share plans, screenshots, and videos for your own visual palette. Good day and happy building.